0: This is episode 312 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's articles are Detecting a Concealed Weapon and How to Make Garlic Syrup. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey guys, before we get started, I want to let you know that this episode is being sponsored by the Preparedness Community's Guide to a Microbiz and Increasing Your Finances. It's my new ebook that will help you start your microbiz or give you ideas to start your microbiz and also give you access to the Prepper Website forums, a private community where preppers can go feel safe, learn, and share information with each other. You know, talking about the ebook, recently I've been on a couple of podcasts. Uh, I've recorded some that are are out and some that are still going to come out, but, uh, you know, having a great time promoting the ebook. And so recently I was on with Brian over at mindforsurvival.com on his podcast. And, uh, so we had such a great conversation that it went so long that he divided the podcast up into two episodes. So the first episode was out last week. And I can't remember if I mentioned it. If I didn't mention it, I apologize, Brian, tremendously. I know that I uh, shared it out on Prepper website. And so his second episode is out, uh, you know, out for, you know, this week as well. And so it just came out Thursday, so everyone knows that as I record this podcast, I'm recording the Friday podcast on Thursday evening. So, it, so it came out today. But I also recorded with uh, Del Goodwin over at Survivalist Prepper and uh, on his podcast. You know, I'm promoting the ebook, and I'm on all these different podcasts. But we, we really are talking about different things. So the the things that we talk about on Mind for Survival is going to be different than what we talk about on the Survivalist Prepper. And uh, just, you know, that's purposeful because I know that some of y'all listen to all of these podcasts and we want to make it a little bit different for you guys uh, and definitely, you know, touch on different uh, topics and, and, you know, make it interesting for you. But uh, again, Brian's second episode is out today and then Dale's came out today as well. And uh, so I'm linking to Dale's on Prepper website and I'm going to link to both of them. Episode one from Brian's, and also Dale's uh, from, you know, at survivalist proper. And I'm going to link to that in the show notes. So if you, uh, on the weekend, if you've, you're feeling like, man, I need to get a little bit more, uh, you know, preparedness podcasts in me. So you can go ahead and link to those. If you haven't already listened to those and you can get that information. And then next week, I'm also going to link to Brian's second episode. And, uh, you know, I haven't listened to that second one, uh, but, uh, listen to the other ones really, really enjoyed uh you know our conversation there with both with brian and with with dale and then you got some other podcasts coming out as well so looking forward to those i'll I'll share those with you as they come out but uh you know having fun talking about the ebook and seeing what's going on over at the prepper website forums and so uh if you are have not purchased the ebook and it's something you want want to do this weekend would be a perfect time to do that and uh, you know come on over and like i said for for 6.49 6 dollars and 49 cents you get the ebook and you get a lifetime access to the forums all right with that let's go ahead and jump into our first article of the podcast it comes to us from survivalsullivan.com and this article is entitled detecting a concealed weapon so let's go ahead and jump right into this one around the us and the world people carry guns if they are not working in an overt context Whether legal or not, they will endeavor to conceal the gun, usually a handgun. They could be another armed citizen going about their day, possibly like you, an off-duty or undercover police officer, or a criminal scumbag or gang member keeping his tools of the trade in a ready condition. Whoever you might be, consider learning the sometimes subtle tells that indicate the presence of a concealed weapon as part and parcel of enhancing your situational awareness. You will not always be able to discern the presence of a weapon, especially a knife, but you often can with enough practice. Discerning the presence of a weapon is one thing, discerning someone's intent is another. However, in conjunction with certain behavioral and social cues, the fact alone that a certain character is unarmed may be enough of a reason to vacate the area or at least give them a wide berth. In this introductory article, I will explain the different types of signals or cues that may indicate the presence of a weapon, as well as additional considerations you may wish to incorporate into your own carry practices to reduce your profile. And guys, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of uh, great pictures here that kind of point out what he's talking about. So you might want to uh, uh, come check out this article uh, and put eyes on this one. moving along indicators the symptoms that point to weapon indicators are simply signs that point to a likely presence of a weapon indicators come in two broad varieties behavioral indicators and presence indicators behavioral indicators are things that the person does because they are carrying a weapon this could be something done to the weapon itself or because of psychological stress or worry by the carrier over it presence indicators are from the weapon itself These are things like bulges, printing, or sagging of clothing, or abrasions characteristic of carrying a weapon in the same location consistently. I'll detail the most common indicators in both categories in the next section. Indicators can run the gradient from very subtle tells or physical ticks, like a subtle shift in a garment, to blatant neon billboard obvious displays like the gun or knife being revealed after concealing garment failure many times one or two subtle indicators alone will not be enough to say for certain someone is concealing a weapon but in conjunction with analysis of their attitude and the setting it may be enough for you to make the determination that they are a probable carrier The type of weapon makes a big difference in how easy it is to hide and ergo how easy it can be to spot. Compact handguns and larger can be easy to spot owing to their weight, distinctive shape, and likelihood of being placed in only a handful of locations on the human body. Typical long guns are difficult or impossible to conceal owing to their length and bulk if not carried in a piece of luggage or under the stereotypical long coat whose presence is often an indicator all by itself knives are different low profile much lighter than a pistol and easy to conceal well compared to any gun a small knife is very easy to hide even in the wielder's hand until it is too late to detect this is a big part of what makes knives so dangerous Most of the indicators discussed in this article will be applicable to any weapon but will present most often with a pistol. Knives are often small and unobtrusive enough to not engender too much fussing on the part of their carrier and may well ride invisibly in a pocket or waistband until drawn. I will make mention in the specific sections if one indicator applies specifically to a certain kind of weapon. Understanding Fundamentals of Concealment Concealment can be achieved in a variety of ways, both on and off the body, but for our purposes in this article, we will look at the prime factors that help indicate an individual's placement of a weapon on their body. The very first is which hand they use, their handedness or dominant hand. It is an extremely high probability that any given person will use their dominant hand to both acquire and employ a weapon. An easy assumption will be the right hand as most earth dwellers are but as with all things we should not assume even on a safe one. Watch their hands which one are they holding their phone with which side do they keep their wallet on if in a store or eat with in an eatery. A less reliable tell is a wrist watch as they are often worn opposite the master hand. Once you have made that determination, that will inform the likely location of the weapon on their body if carried on body. Right-handed gun carriers will likely carry somewhere on the right hemisphere of the belt line between 1230 and 6 o'clock, in a right side pocket in their pants or jacket, under the left armpit in a shoulder holster, or on the left ankle if in an ankle holster. Reverse all that for lefties. Uh, just going back to some of these these things you know when it like uh, talking about the wallet and stuff like that I guess and um, where I hold my my phone and, and watches I, al- I always learned that the, your wristwatch would always be on your left hand no matter what but uh, I don't know if everybody everybody does it that way but anyway uh, I don't I don't normally carry some of the things that he was mentioning uh, like everybody else would I guess. All right so uh, continuing on. Knives will be carried in similar locations most commonly seen clipped in a pocket or in a sheath on the belt line close at hand. Note again knives are easy to hide and can be strapped to a forearm under a sleeve hanging by a cord around the neck and in a dozen other inventive and invisible locations. Once you have determined an individual's handedness move on to looking for indicators if unable to determine their dominant hand you should simply be looking for indicators on both sides of the body behavioral indicators behavioral indicators are comprised of tells body language things done to the weapon or because the weapon is carried you will often see these when the weapon in question is a gun this may take the form of altered movement patterns shielding the location of weapon from frontal notice of bystanders or reflexively nervous pats or pulls to ensure a gun remains in place be it in a holster stuffed in a pocket or tucked in a waistband some are more overt and may take the form of the carrier vocalizing the presence of or the willingness to use a weapon during an argument or confrontation i'll blank cut you man or don't make me shoot you Obviously anyone who flashes or acquires a grip on their weapon is obviously armed and should be treated accordingly as the situation dictates. Below are common behavioral indicators. The block. A person carrying a weapon that is self-conscious about it, either from inexperience or nervousness, will often try to keep their body between an oncoming observer This takes the form of a curious rotation either of the torso or the whole body in place to block the weapon's location from a direct line of sight. For instance, a carrier with a gun or knife on the right side will turn to the right when approached head on or standing face to face with someone, thus moving the weapon behind the mass of their body and out of sight from the nearby person. A related form happens when someone is moving in for a hug or to put an arm around the carrier this leads to a quick jig where they will reposition themselves to minimize or eliminate the hugger feeling the weapon of the huggy the block may also take the form of conspicuously positioning anything carried in the hand to one hip or another in order to shield the weapon in the same way the pat Again, symptomatic of new or nervous carriers, even old professional carriers will fall victim to this inadvertently or by necessity after the weapon or garment has been bumped or disturbed. This indicator takes the form of exactly what it says on the header, a hand patting or brushing the location of the weapon to confirm either its continued presence, concealment status, or simply for mental reassurance. This could be directed to any of the locations above, but rarely an ankle, as that is easily visually confirmed by the carrier. The Swerve People that carry a weapon on their hip will often develop a movement quirk when in close quarters to people or objects on the side the weapon is carried on. Due to the fact that the weapon, especially a gun, again, increases the width of their hips, most carriers will invariably go through a period where the weapon will smack into people, countertops, door frames, and the like with a loud clunk or clang until they learn to account for this instance. Some develop a little swerve or jink where the carrier swings their hips out and away from the obstruction to prevent contacting it with the weapon. It is highly noticeable and odd looking once you know what to look for. The adjuster Often seen when someone is carrying a gun, even light guns are heavy and usually uncomfortable. Adding insult to injury, unless carried holstered on a good gun belt, they have an aggravating tendency to slide, shift, rotate, and flop in pockets or waistbands. You'll see the carrier reach for the gun furtively or not, grip it, and adjust it or fro to or fro to reposition it in order to increase comfort and security this will present commonly when a small gun is carried in a pocket or in the front of the waistband without a holster this tell is a frequent occurrence when someone is carrying in the waistband with no holster commonly called felony carry a clipped stride this one can be subtle expect to see someone carrying a gun or large knife on belt line or ankle show a somewhat shorter stride on the side that they have the weapon For instance, a right-handed carrier with the weapon located accordingly will not step as far with their right leg compared to their left and typically not swing their right arm as far as the left arm. This is much easier to notice if someone is walking perpendicular to you. The clamp happens when running, clambering, or doing anything that may lead to the weapon coming out of pocket, sheath, or holster, or the carrier anticipates that this may occur you'll see them actually acquire a grip on the weapon, usually through their clothing to hold it in place. This is done to secure the weapon against the drop, discussed later under presence indicators. Spoiler warning, it is exactly what it sounds like. Reluctance to bend over. Commonly seen when a carrier has a gun on the belt line between the hip and six o'clock, They will not bend over when standing to pick up a dropped item or anything low to the ground as doing so will allow most garments to shift or stretch thus revealing the gun to the eye or by severe printing. Watch for them to take a knee or squat instead. Sure it might just be bad back but perhaps not. If you see someone bending over keep an eye on their waistline and back area and you will easily see a large handgun or sheath knife printing. Also, keep one eye on jacket, coat, pockets as a weapon carried there will create a noticeable droop off the body when leaning over. Unwilling to Remove Concealing Garment In a setting when a garment like a coat, jacket, or similar would be removed either for wear, comfort, or social etiquette, any refusal to do so is suspicious and indicative of a weapon either concealed at the waist, under the arm, or within the garment itself. This could result from a too warm office or reluctance to remove a coat when sitting down to eat. Presence indicators. Presence indicators are signs and cues of the weapon itself. Presence indicators are mostly visual but can be auditory. They will usually take the form of a disturbance. Failure or anomaly in the way a garment looks or behaves on the body but could also be spotting a piece of support equipment like a loop or strut on a holster or the obvious pocket clip of a folding knife. More subtle, it could be slight damage left on a garment from the aforementioned things. When worn repeatedly, holsters, sheaths, and clips will leave small well-worn signs on otherwise pristine clothing. These tracks are obviously tells that the individual is a habitual carrier and you can bet they have a weapon on them as well if perhaps in a new location so bulging or printing so i'm going to tell you there's a couple of uh pictures here definitely that you want to see and then there's captions here as well The most common and easily spotted indicator aside from cover garment failure large knives and most guns will betray their location by a conspicuous lump through a garment or by showing a ghost outline when fabric is stretched too tightly across it. Bulging and printing may result from poor carry methodology placement holster belt selection garment choice etc or the way the carrier is standing sitting or moves. Check all the prescribed locations mentioned earlier in the article for the symptoms above and also look out for tightening of fabric across that location. The pattern, color, weight, and type of clothing all help or hurt concealment. Most patterns, especially geometric shapes, help hide bulges in printing. Heavy, puffy garments help greatly a garment wet from rain or heavy perspiration may not behave as it normally does dry exasperating a bulge or by becoming translucent revealing the outline of the weapon wind may press or pull a garment across a gun a weapon in a pocket made even heavier from wetness will sag precipitously no pun intended and be more noticeable than usual all right so the droop for guns pocket carried in a jacket or pants unless it is a flyweight gun you will often see one pocket hanging lower than the other perhaps in addition to printing as described above this may also occur on one side of the pants or the other for a heavy pistol carried on the belt especially owb or outside the waistband the printing in a pocket can be reduced or eliminated with a pocket holster or flat gun But unless the carrier is savvy and uses counterweights in the opposite pocket, this will betray them. Knives are often too light to cause drooping, but some heavier examples will. They are most often spotted in a pocket by printing or from their ubiquitous pocket clips. Hardware Sighting This comes in two flavors, seeing the weapon itself or the unmistakable indicator of something used to carry the weapon. For the weapon itself, it could be the result of a garment failure where it has been hitched or pulled away from the weapon, revealing it to bystanders. Less obvious but still very visible indicators are things like pocket clips for knives and certain spare magazine carriers as well as loops, straps, clips, or hooks placed on or around the waistline and or a belt. If you cannot positively ID the mystery attachment, assume it belongs a holster or a sheath if you carry pocket dimes with a clip regularly take a look down at the pocket you carry it in notice anything see that little patch of frayed fabric and loose stitching that's our snitch an indicator even if you don't have the knife in place some same applies for guns they'll create unusual well-defined wear marks on belts and waistbands of pants as well as nibbling little pinholes and concealing shirts or jackets. With a good eye these wear indicators are easily spotted. A gun routinely carried in a pocket without a pocket holster will emboss itself through the fabric creating wear where the gun rests. These are very noticeable in jeans or khakis. The clunk my favorite and the one i am most alert for in a public setting like a restaurant anyone who carries a gun but sometimes a larger knife on or behind the hip who sits down or leans against the hard surface will create a loud distinctive clunk sound when their weapon contacts the surface they are sitting on keep your ears open next time you are at a restaurant and you'll hear this at least once once you notice this you'll start hearing it everywhere Chances are you do it yourself if you carry a pistol. Don't be that guy or gal. The drop. The dreaded drop, the field go, the OMG. If this occurs in a public setting, the jig is up and someone typically needs to leave the premises. This will occur under a few different sets of circumstances, and this assumes the weapon was not in someone's hand. Something snags the weapon and plucks it from the body, it tumbles to the floor. The weapon was poorly secured usually in the waistband with no holster or sheath and it worked free under movement falling to the floor. The weapon hits the ground at a bathroom stall because the carrier is pulling their pants up or down or removing an upper garment dislodging the gun. Don't laugh it's shockingly common. Pray it does not happen to you. If this happens the carrier is usually mortified and if a good guy will promptly apologize and head for the exit. This is not a guarantee but expected behavior to avoid scaring the horses so to speak luggage indicators detecting a gun in a bag briefcase purse or something similar is challenging any bag that does not belong in the setting is a yellow flag especially one large enough to carry a long gun certain types of worn bags like fanny packs should be treated as instant indicators that the owner is armed unless you are at a tourist hotspot or they are riding their bicycle Similar to unwillingness to part with a garment, hesitancy to part with a bag should be treated as likely hiding places for a weapon, specifically a gun. So, positive confirmation. Okay, you've positively confirmed someone has a weapon on them, so what? In seriousness, in a civilian setting, it does not mean much on its own. After all, you are carrying a weapon yourself, and I'll presume you mean no one any ill will. You need to keep the fact in mind, but also see if they are presenting any behaviors that give you cause to worry. Are they minding their own business, acting like the average person would in the same circumstances? Do they seem unusually worried or anxious? Are they glancing around, looking over their shoulder, or staring into space? Are they sweating, pale, or antsy? Anything that may tip their hand as to their mindset or intent must be paid careful attention. If you detect a weapon on someone and they are presenting behavioral cues or mannerisms that suggest evil intent or derangement, you should take action to improve your chances. Either reposition yourself or just leave. If you have a sincere, well-founded belief that someone is about to do something bad, calling the police is probably warranted. Better some embarrassment for a headspace check than an outbreak of violence that might have been preempted. Again, even directly sighting a weapon on someone does not mean you or anyone else is in danger. Context is everything, and especially in America, a large fraction of the citizenry is armed more or less all the time. Other considerations. Review the indicators we covered and keep them in mind when working on your own carry setup. Chances are you are inadvertently guilty of at least one of the above or probably several indicators above. Have a trusted friend or loved one observe you as you bind doing things you would normally throughout your day so you can determine exactly how far you can push your concealment envelope. Having them observe you discreetly for the same while out in public is also beneficial. Now that you know what seasoned professionals, experienced bad guys, and clever civilian carriers look for, you can reverse engineer your approach to ensure you prevent or minimize these indicators on your person. Nearly any concealed weapon can be detected under the right condition, if you pay attention. Conversely, a skilled carrier with an easy-to-conceal weapon can keep it hidden until it is deployed at speed. Improving your skills at weapon detection is just another component of situational awareness to increase your chances of identifying an attacker before they strike, or keep tabs on who else is in the room may respond to a criminal act. You can practice these skills anytime you are around strangers in a public setting and also use them to sharpen your friends, partners, and your own concealment methodology. Do you commonly spot concealed weapons on your daily travels or no? What do you think is the biggest indicator that someone is armed? Let us know in the comments below. Alright, good article over here and then there's 10 comments that you might want to check out a um, lot of information here. Like I said, a lot of pictures to kind of give you ideas of what he's talking about. And along with the pictures, there are descriptions letting you know what you're looking for, what you're seeing and uh, all that good stuff. So uh, great article here uh, on, you know, looking, you know, definitely looking for uh, what your, those look fors as far as, you know, what other people are, are concealed carrying, but then also they, it will help you if you are concealed carrying, and a lot of people I know are more and more all the time uh, because just things are crazy out there and they want to be able to protect themselves. So, again, guys, that's over at survivalsullivan.com. Like always, I'm going to link to it in the show notes so you can go check it out. And remember, there's some great uh, pictures here that really describe what he's talking about. Our next article comes to us from modern And on Fridays, or for the Friday podcast, I go into the Prepper website archives. And pull an article out from uh, from the archive, and so definitely uh, this one. You know, I was looking at home remedies and uh, different things like that, and so I found this one from 2015 on how to make garlic syrup, and uh, like I said, coming to us from modernsurvivalblog.com. It's one of these uh, home remedies that you can, uh, you know, maybe you print this out and you keep it in your binder or you make note of it. Uh, There's going to be recipes here as far as how to make this and how to use it. And uh, so I know that this is one of those that will be very interesting to a lot of you. So let's go ahead and read this one. Having recently posted on the benefits of honey, I dug up an old post from a reader who had let us know how to make garlic syrup with honey. A home remedy of sorts here's how to make a garlic syrup my first batch was in 1978 i have made it the same way for over 30 years and it has not failed me i altered the original recipe from day one replacing sugar with honey i believe this has made it even more potent as honey also has antibiotic properties it can actually kill some forms of bacteria from forbes magazine on february 2nd 2012 Last year, some research was published evidencing some effectiveness against MRSA. Now, a team from the Cardiff School of Health Sciences has demonstrated the effectiveness of this honey against streptococcus pyogenes, and antibiotic-resistant bacteria that often infects wounds and can prevent skin grafts from forming. The original recipe was from a book by Dr. Edward Schuch, where it was said that during world war ii the british government purchased the world's garlic crop thousands of tons and used it to treat the wounds of their soldiers on the front line from the thousands treated not one case of septic poison was produced no gangrene that is to say it is an antiseptic those being external uses i must say i first made it to treat my family internally For colds, coughs, pneumonia, and possible exposure to tuberculosis, it has always been the lung remedy in my home. This does not necessarily soothe the cough, and it does not mask a symptom, but rather goes after the cause. It can act as an expectorant. With a syrup made of organic garlic, clean local honey, organic apple cider vinegar, and pure water, one can treat a variety of conditions. I got up to the point that I used to make 10 gallons at a time from 25 pounds of garlic. That's a lot. It is not inexpensive, however. I feel it is more valuable than gold. It is really, really sticky to make even before the honey is added. The garlic oil attaches to everything, and the entire house will reek on the day you grind the garlic or open the bucket later. Gotta love it. So the garlic syrup recipe break apart the garlic cloves remove loose peels but don't sweat the ones that clean run them through a meat mincer or grinder i use a hand cranked one a blender might work but that is all you will ever use it for i have destroyed juicers don't go there a garlic press is not enough mince or grind the garlic add equal amounts of water and vinegar enough to cover the garlic use a glass container preferably or plastic if you have to but never metal to soak the garlic dr shook only soaked his for four hours i always soaked it at the very least overnight however i usually soaked it like a tincture and let it sit for two weeks i have also left it in this state for over a year and it has not spoiled i call this stage garlic broth unstrained the pulp is strained through layers of cheesecloth or linen or cotton and a sieve. The resulting product is the strained broth. Always add one and a half times as much honey as broth. Example, one pound of garlic, two cups of water, two cups of vinegar equals four half cups, four, and four and a half cups of broth. You actually get more liquid back because of the oil in the garlic that comes out add one and a half times as much honey as broth so 4.5 cups of broth multiplied by 1.5 times the amount of honey equals 6.75 or six and three fourths cups of honey warm the honey on low heat and add it to the broth never heat the garlic stir drink to good health internally one tablespoon three to four times a day as adults One teaspoon three to four times a day for children externally apply to lint, cotton, gauze, and place on wound. I have also used this in cold environments to warm the body and blood. It used to be part of our wood gathering chainsaw toolbox. All right, and so, of course, like always, we need to make sure that we cover ourselves, so um, there is an MSB note here a modern survival modern survival blog note this is not medical advice and so uh you know there's 24 comments here with uh people leaving information here you know as uh it's, it must have just been coincidence uh before i got onto the podcast and before i did some of the things that i was doing today i, I jumped over to youtube i was checking something and uh, an herbal uh you know cat from the herbal herbalist prepper came up and she had a fiery, my gosh, I can't remember exactly what it's called, a fiery concoction. <laughs> I'm just gonna call it concoction. Let me see if I can get it here in, in my history. Um, but I thought it was really good, and so there is a way to make it where it's um, you have to spend a little bit more time and allow it to. Um, you know, to, to, this tincture, right? And so you're, you're allowing it to sit or so it's instant fire cider is what it is. And so I'm going to go ahead and bring it up right here as I'm, uh, as I'm talking to you, uh, here on this podcast. But, uh, so it's uh, a fire cider, uh, from Rosemary Gladstar. And so she, she makes that in, she uses that on a regular basis, but it sits like a tincture and then she strains it out and all that kind of stuff but she brings up this way to make it instantly. If you don't have some, if you need it and you don't have some that's been sitting around for a while to strain and you don't, you know, you haven't been uh, proactive making it. So you have this, uh, instant firesider to make. So it looked really interesting. I remember one that I, that I purchased off of Itzy. Actually, it was a hot echinacea tincture and, uh, I, I purchased it and then, Uh, man that sucker was hot you get it and you kind of mix it in some warm water or even some chamomile tea so you heat up heat up some tea and then you drop a dropper in there of it and so uh, i wound up making some because uh, i can't remember where i got it from but you can buy it and and it's a tincture that she would sell and you can you know they would she would send it to you or you she gave the recipe if you wanted to make it and so i I made it and i'm it's my first time ever making a tincture and it was extremely way too much and so i learned my lesson like don't ever don't ever make that much i mean you really need to you know i don't know i don't know what i was thinking i I guess i was thinking i was just going to suck it down every every 15 minutes or whatever which that's what you're supposed to do with the fire cider but uh, i didn't do that this one was more like you know when i wasn't feeling well you know, in the evening times or whatever, but, um, I haven't made that hot echinacea tincture recently. Uh, I think I'm going to go ahead and get it set up when we get a little closer to the winter time and flu and all that kind of stuff starts, uh, manifesting itself everywhere and colds and all that kind of junk. And so I'll bring that out. I don't know. It might help me with my, with my sinuses right now. It might it definitely clear that up, but uh, also this instant firesider was very interesting to me and so bringing up the whole herbal remedy thing um you know cat also did uh there was this funny uh, actually so that's the reason why i wound up going to youtube now that i remember it is uh so you know that remedy that you always see on facebook memes and things like that like the onions in, in the sock and uh, the onion turns black and it's supposed to like suck out you know, whatever bacteria or infection or whatever you have, you know, through your feet or whatever. And she was like, that needs to, <laughs> the video was called the sock onion sock needs to die. And so, uh, I, I was watching that one and I think she referenced the, the fire cider And so, but it was on the, on the sidebar. So I clicked on it to watch that one. But anyway, you know, just for the, if you're interested in it, because I think knowing a little bit about herbal, remedies and finding some that work for you you don't have to be like you know you don't have to be like a pharmacist right um but you you know if you can find a couple of things that work for you you can buy some of these herbs in bulk from online you know online vendors and definitely you have a a nice supply and i know that we don't talk about that very often i mean sometimes we do but that is you know as as medicine becomes more expensive if we ever get to a point where it's way out of control and people just can't afford to go and or it gets to a point where we we don't have the ability to go to doctors for whatever reason we are truly in a in a poop hits the fan situation having a nice stock of you know herbs and and uh, you know powdered powdered herbs and and all that kind of stuff um, where you're able to make some of these tinctures and to help your family Uh, would definitely be and having a little bit of knowledge a cat has a a nice book out Uh, i did pick it up on daisy luther's recommendation and so a lot of good stuff there you know it's like a entry level to herbal remedies that you might want to pick up so uh, i'm going to link to some of these so i know that there's some of y'all out there like you know what that sounds interesting todd i'm going to go ahead and uh, i want to look into it a little bit more and being that it's the friday podcast and going into the weekend you might want to click over to youtube and uh, watch Watch the video. So, I'm going to link to a bunch of stuff. I'm going to link to uh, my first interview with Brian over at Mind for Survival. I'm going to link to my podcast with Dale over at Survivalist Prepper. Uh, if you're not listening to those two podcasts, you really need to listen to them because they do a really great job of getting information out there. And so, you know, they come out once a week. They re- they release a podcast once a week. A lot of the times they're interviewing great people in preparedness or uh things, you know, ideas and, and people uh that would relate very closely to preparedness. And so you really need to have them in your podcast catcher or in iTunes or however you're listening to podcasts. Uh definitely I would recommend them. And there's so many other great ones out there as well. So I'm gonna link to them and I'm gonna link to these YouTube videos. And, uh, hopefully you'll find some interesting stuff here. Maybe it'll, it'll start, uh, an interest in a journey in, uh, in, in herbal remedies and herbal preparedness. And who knows, maybe even a micro biz uh, on that account, right? So if you're making these herbal remedies and I mean if other people are making them and selling them, why couldn't you? And so that's, uh, that's one way to do it out there. I don't know what kind of, um, uh, restrictions there are from you know the government on all that kind of stuff i know sometimes they can get uh pretty heavy-handed i know that there's been people that have shut down there was a great website that that uh, the website owner just shut it down because she got an email from the federal government and kind of freaked her out a little bit and so she shut down everything and i was like no you know just you know what let me can i have it can i you know and and even she shut it down to the point where you can't find the stuff on the way back machine which is just is just sucks, man. That's just terrible. But uh, there's a lot of things out there that you really should know. And, uh, you know, some herbal remedies wouldn't hurt you. Uh, it's really, you know, when you start thinking about preparedness and there's some experienced preppers out there that, you know, maybe this is one of those things where you need to start looking into, uh, definitely herbal herbal remedies. So, uh, like I said, guys, I want to link to all of that in the show notes and, uh, you'll be able to click on over there and uh, hopefully, you'll find something interesting. And don't forget, you know, like on the weekend, if you are looking for more preparedness information, definitely come over to Prepper website. We post there 24 7 every single day of the week. And uh, if you, you know, I can only get to two articles, uh, a, you know, a podcast. So if, if this, this is all you're getting, there's a ton of extra information over there on Prepper website that you can, that you're missing out on. And, uh, I know, you know, I hear from some of y'all like Todd, I can't, I just don't have time to read articles completely understand that. But if you can, and you have some free time or you're researching something, you definitely go over to Prepper website. And then we have pages dedicated to like DIY, even conspiracy stuff, uh, alternative news. The The alternative news page is the most, it's the second most popular page on all of Prepper website outside of the front page where everybody goes. So uh, you know, there's a lot of people looking for alternative news and, and uh, try to keep that updated as much as possible. Sometimes the feeds break, but a lot of good information there as well. All right, guys, well, that's it for episode 312 of the Prepper website podcast. Hey, to subscribe to the show, head on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. That way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness and take a moment to connect with me. I have uh, make it really easy for you on the show notes or over at theprepperwebsitepodcast.com to connect on social media. Don't forget about our Facebook group. I'd love to see you over there as well. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace.